Hello and welcome to another Trivelo Coaching Podcast. It is Christmas time and this is our last podcast for the year. So today we are going to do a bit of play on the 12 days of Christmas. We're going to do 12 lessons of Christmas, 12 things that we have seen, observed, uh, 12 lessons that we've learned throughout the year in Trivelo Coaching, whether it's to do with training, racing, certain stories from athletes. We've got uh, 12 big lessons that We've discussed that were probably pretty common themes this year um, and big things that people can take and learn from the year uh, going into next year. So 12 things on the cards, 12 things that we've learned. Uh, Let's get into it. Great, George. I'm really excited about this topic, um, this podcast, because um, really I think it's almost like a wrap-up of 2019, a bit of a summary. Um, There's a lot of positive things that have happened uh, throughout the year and there's been lots of learning and I wouldn't want to call them negatives um, because you probably learn more out of uh, disappointment than you learn out of uh, successes. So so it's really uh, a great opportunity for us to go through lots of the lessons we've learnt, um, good things and not so good. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this discussion. Absolutely. We've got some really good ones to get through. So the uh, first lesson of the 12 lessons of Trivelo Coaching Christmas uh, is actually the first rule in our Trivelo model. So our Trivelo model is plan, prepare, perform. Um, and that's something that you absolutely love because that to you is the simple process that everyone needs to go through to get the success they want and achieve their goal. And you notice this year that how important it is to start with the planning um, and work backwards from there. Yeah, um, that's been one of the key focuses and we just actually sent out a questionnaire uh, asking uh, for feedback on what people's goals are for 2020. So it's kind of a good uh, topic to start with. Um, without having a plan, um, what are you preparing for and what are you, what are you going to perform at? Um, so, so getting the plan in your mind is, is the first and foremost thing that you should be thinking about. And as we know, the New Year's resolutions are, are massive for people. Um, every year, people make New re- New Year's resolutions, and they're probably, in some ways, just thinking about planning their next year, um, which is, I think, a really good thing. Not a lot of the resolutions that end up being <laughs> successful, mm. um, but that's that's a, a one step in the process of um, getting your your your, uh, your year sorted out and getting your mind focused on well, what am I trying to do? What am what's the goal? What am I trying to achieve? Um, in my cycling, swimming, running, triathlon, you know, mountain biking, whatever, whatever your passion is, you know, have some sort of a plan that you can work towards. And and for us at at, at the uh, the office stage, we want to work backwards from your big race, from your big goal. It doesn't have to be a race. It can be a grand fondo. It can be just um, an achievement that I want in threshold um, or running pace mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a race but sometimes races are better for people to work towards because um, it really makes you get up in the morning and uh, it gives you a reason to, to train with more focus so certainly um, having a plan to work backwards from really helps us and there is a massive difference isn't there between just your level of intensity and the way you attack your training when you uh, have an event that you're going for compared to just going through the motions there just isn't that same drive yeah and i often say to people and especially when i'm having um a pre-race conversation with a lot of our athletes about what their their race plan is whether it's triathlon or cycling race or time trial or 
I always say to them, um, there's a moment before the race starts, um, whether you're on a time trial bike and you're waiting for your, your minute, for your minute man to leave and you've got a minute and you're, st- you're on the, the start ramp um, and you've got a minute to contemplate because nothing's going to happen in the next minute. You've just got to relax. And I always think, I've trained really hard for this, for this event, this next 23 minutes. Um, boy, I've got up early. Mm. You know, I've really made some sacrifices. And you know, whether you're standing on the beach for your triathlon, the same feeling. Am I standing there going, I'm really satisfied with all the preparation, the planning that I've put into place, and I'm confident from um, everything I've done looking backwards to, to today. So you want to be that person standing there confident, not going, I wish I had done so much more than I've, than I've got to uh, when I've got to this position. I'm really a bit uh, worried. You know, the confidence you get from knowing you're well prepared, um, and that's probably the next topic, but planning to get to that point is, is key. Yeah, and that you've probably why this is a big lesson while we're starting with this is number one is that you've had a lot of athletes this year get to the start line and then after the race say to you, I was standing there and I felt really good, really confident. And that's probably what you say is your goal as a coach is to get the athlete to that line in that position. Yeah, and, and that comes back to how well prepared they were, but it also comes back to the first point was, you know, they had the plan. They gave me the, the, the plan of what they wanted to achieve and, and they went about preparing themselves with the guidance from us um and you know the performance is based on lots of criteria um a podium is one way to measure it a pb Mm -hmm. um just general improvement um there's so many ways to measure your performance and that's that's a, a bit more complicated an answer but certainly standing there with the plan in place the preparation done and then the outcome will generally be be a good result absolutely and that that leads us to uh, probably our second lesson which is uh, the what we would call the um, what we graciously call the domination of trivello athletes at time trials throughout 2019 we had a lot of trivello athletes have really good years with time trialing and um, that starts with planning, but there's a few reasons for that, and that is actually uh, not just a toot our own horn, um, but that is actually something that we're very proud of at Travello for, especially you, for a few key reasons. Yeah, and, and it's interesting we're going to talk about time trialing, but but certainly the triathlete's performance in the last six weeks over you know, 15 or 20 races has been... And I would say time trialing also counts for the bike leg of the triathlon. Yeah. The training's very similar. Yep. And on that point, um, I'm a big believer in uh, if you are a really good time trialist, that will incredibly help your triathlon racing, Mm -hmm. but it will incredibly help your cycling. So the best cyclists all around cyclists are strong time trialists. The the correlation is Mm -hmm. massive. And that's why I push time trialing and all our cyclists... Um, and we put uh, we put races in front of them to give them more motivation, rather than just saying oh, you need to improve your time trialing, which is in in effect improve your threshold riding, you know riding at mm-hmm. threshold, mm-hmm. rather than just saying oh, we're going to train to threshold, we, we make it fun by having a time trial race, um, and it gives them uh, something that distracts from from the actual fact that they're doing threshold training, mm-hmm. um, which is what most cyclists hate doing uh, because it's too hard Mm. Um, we are a nation of uh, over under efforts Uh, so bunch rides what do you do in a bunch ride you get to the front for 10 seconds ride really hard 
then you sit back in the bunch and recover and you mm. do that you know every saturday mm. and we're really good at that so that's the point you're making why have we dominated time trialing so much because i've changed the focus from just doing bunch rides to threshold rides as well bunch rides are so important to practice the over under mm. over threshold under threshold over threshold mm. but time trialing is holding threshold and so we have a specific session in our program where guys are either doing a time trial session with others or they're doing it on their ergo by themselves but it's a session that's got an effort of five minutes or more Mm. Um, and the results we've got from all of our athletes whether they're triathletes or cyclists is they are now elite uh, time trialers Mm. in you know in their chosen sport what you'd say is consistently at the top end of results at races and consistently improving and really big improvements. And I asked you, well, why is that? You know, as a simple answer, why is that? And you pretty much just said, um, because we practice it the most. Right? Yeah. Both in training and yep. the extra races. Yep. And look, if, you know, to use the example of the, the, the guy who just does bunch rides um, every day, six days a week, mm-hmm. and some of them are hard, some of them are easy. Well, not many of the bunch rides are easy, but. But if you just did bunch rides, you would be really good at bunch riding mm. and you would be an elite bunch rider in, in your particular state or, or, or city or country town mm. um, because that's what you practice. You do that over under effort day in, day out, and you're good at it. But the minute I take you out of that uh, scenario into a maybe into a road race uh, where there's no, there's no ro- you know, rolling over the bunch, it's, mm. it's uh, periods of high intensity attacks, with uh, with periods of easy riding and then you know some hill climbs, well you're not used to any of that uh, regimented over under, mm. and that's where riders will stay the same if they keep doing the same training. They'll just be good at over under. Mm. So we're adding another uh, aspect to uh, the all round cycling ability, which is, and as you know, all the GC riders in a tour, whether it's a Tour of Bright or the Tour de France. The best GC riders are the best time trialers. Mm. There's no, you know, you won't win a GC unless you can time trial. And so therefore, you know, time trialing on a TT bike also cross relates to a hill climb. Mm. It's the same effort. So if you've got a, a tour that has a hill climb in it, if you're a really gun time trialist, you will do well on the hill climb as well mm. because you're used to riding at threshold. And if there's a road race that's got undulations, we also have that where we ride the bunch ride, so we're we're covering all bases to be, make you a better all round cyclist. That's what that's what our goal is here to to improve you as a cyclist. That's why you come to us, mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're going to deliver to you. Uh, not concentrate on your strengths, concentrate on the things that you're weak at. And that is uh, a perfect segue into point number three, and it is one of the biggest training observations that you you've seen rife, and you you just touched on it. Um, pretty well there but it's basically one of the biggest training observations you say is that you constantly see uh, people just doing what they're good at and staying away from what they're not good at and most people like you just said aren't good at threshold efforts um, and so most people stay away from it yeah and you know why is that and the answer is simple because it's the hardest thing to do Mm. so as humans we try to find the easier options in life all the time Um, but if you actually want to ask someone how am I going to get better well I'm giving you the answer do more threshold work um, do more hill climbing work 
and continue with your bunch riding mm-hmm. and you your improvement will be astronomical mm-hmm. you, you will become a different cyclist we have countless examples George as you know of people who have been mediocre to average riders mm-hmm. uh, who've never won anything um, and have stayed the same so there's two things there winning but also your your performance staying the same so winning's great but we're really about improving you as a rider so yeah, so improving your performance is the, the main thing that we actually use as an analysis to, to see if, if you're succeeding with uh, the coaching program that you're on. And, and so all of a sudden, people start to improve in their local bunch ride. You know, they notice that, gee, I'm stronger because guys in their bunch are telling them, boy, what have you been doing? You're really strong today. And such a great feeling um, to know that you've worked on your weakness um, and it's paying dividends by other people commenting. I mean, it's not it's not even something that you're measuring analy- analytically. It's mm. something that some people subjectively are feeling mm. that, boy, you were strong today, mm. you know. What's going on? What are you doing? And, mm. and, and sometimes they want to be a part of that, and they're, they're asking that question because I want to know what you're doing because I want to do the same as you're, you're doing because I like to see the way you're writing. Yeah, yeah. And that... Um yeah, that is just something that you I hear you say over and over again, um, and the people that are willing to listen and say, okay, I'll surrender and I'll do these threshold sessions are the ones that get the most enjoyment because they end up improving the most. Yeah, and it's not easy, and I'm, I'm not even going to avoid that because it is so difficult to ride threshold. It, it really tests your resolve in physicalness, but mentally knowing that tomorrow morning I've got to ride three 10-minute efforts or four 8-minute efforts or six 5-minute efforts at between 100 and 105 or 108% threshold, boy, you have, to be, you have to be really ready for that. And you're outside your comfort zone. There's no doubt about it. But the satisfaction you get when you finish that session, it's actually like a little bit of a mini adrenaline rush mm. that, oh, I did it, you know. Uh, whereas you compare that to if I'm giving you something that's one minute and under over under sessions where you're doing maybe 40 20s or 30 30 15s it's over and done with the efforts are quick and short you can manage it because mm. you're used to doing that mm. and you're kind of you're a little bit stressed but you're still in your comfort zone a little bit um, and you can push yourself harder in that but but the areas that I'm re- we really want to improve people in is is the areas they're weak in and and that's why we avoid it. As, as humans, we don't want to do those sessions. Mm-hmm. But that's what's, that's what's going to make you better. So I'm going to push you to do those sessions and uh, do everything I can. And if you're struggling, we'll have other strategies. You know, drop the power fractionally so that you, you can get through the four efforts or the three efforts. And we have so many examples of people riding too high in the range we give you at the mm-hmm. start. So we give you a range, say, if you're doing six-minute efforts between 102 and 110%. Mm-hmm. Don't start at 110% if you're struggling. Start at 102 mm. and that way you'll get through the session. So executing and managing the session, you know, it's probably one of the other topics you have to talk about. But but certainly uh, don't hide away from the things that are going to make you a better cyclist. That's the main point of this one. Definitely. And that does lead us to lesson number four in our 12 Lessons of Christmas. And that is, again, something that is a bit of a broken record. And you just, you just said that you... Try to tell people this, um, and it's one of the hardest points for you to get across. And you say, you've tried many different analogies, many different ways of telling people, um, and for some reason, it is the hardest point to get across. Once people get it, then they're good. Um, And Joe, even on the podcast a few weeks ago, told the story of his success and the fact that after three years, he's really 
come onto his own. Um, but it took him this long to totally surrender to what you're saying here. And that is people are still training too hard on the easy days and how hard it is for you to convince them to train easier on the easy days so they can go harder on the hard days. Yeah, and look, it's just not just not Joe. It would be 50% of the guys who come to us. Um, my biggest challenge, and that's why we put out so many videos at the start of our um, coaching program so that people have a clear understanding of what the goal and the outcome of every session we give you is. And if it is a easy recovery session, I still find people riding that session too hard. And it is a broken record, and people have heard me say this a hundred times. In order to ride harder, you need to ride easier on the easy days. And, you know, there are so many different ways of doing that. You can avoid riding with your mates on those easy easy days if they're going to, you know, challenge you with some, all of a sudden someone starts riding harder. So rather than put yourself in that position, um, do the stuff at home on your rollers or on your ergo or whatever, or just by yourself where you're okay if if uh, someone on a, you know, a BMX bike passes you, mm. you know, and you're not getting, you've lost the competitive urge on that on that recovery day. So that is so crucial to the program. So that when you have to ride hard on the days where it counts, you're fresh enough to do it. Um, and people think, oh, recovery days, you know, if you're not going to ride hard, it's a waste of time. Mm. Well, well, there's a couple of things that happen on the recovery days. There's no actual fitness gain on the recovery days. You're trying to recover from the previous uh, couple of days' efforts, you know. Normally we have a recovery day on a Monday. So Saturday, Sunday is generally because we have the most time available to us. Mm-hmm. So we, we are really stressed our body. We might have a long endurance ride with some intensity and Sunday might be some tempo stuff. Come Monday, the, the only aim of that session is to get the blood flowing around your legs to repair the damaged working muscles. That's all we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with 100 watts. Mm-hmm at 100 cadence, at 100 heart rate. Mm. You know, that's the extreme example. And people go, well, why would you bother riding at 100 watts? Well, it's because we want blood flow to repair because blood flow carries oxygen. Oxygen repairs damaged muscles. So that's basically the, the reason for our recovery ride. And I guarantee if you did that recovery ride and the next day you were going to do some intensity, which is what normally happens on a Tuesday, you will be much better off on the next day's ride had you not rested. Um, and that's probably where most people actually just don't believe you. They say, well, no, I want to train more. And so I'd rather just get a proper ride in on Monday. Um, I can still back it up Tuesday. Yep. And what you're saying is, yes, you can back it up, but you are going to be much less effective in that session. Yeah. So if we're trying to get you to ride maybe 110 to 130% and, and higher, if you've done a little bit too much on the Monday and you've still got fatigue from Saturday and Sunday, then come Tuesday... You're going to be lucky to push 110%. And at the end of the day, you've you've lost the goal of that session because of what you did previously the, next, the day before. So the day before's goal was 50% threshold and under. The next day is 130 to 150. If you can only do 120, well, you've missed that goal. So therefore, your improvement won't be there. And if you keep doing that, you'll start to then lose confidence and then start asking questions like, oh, I'm not improving, Jared. What, what am I doing wrong? Well, you're actually doing a version of the course. Mm. You're not actually doing what it's specifically asking you to do. Mm. And that is one of the, the real frustrations we have is people doing a little bit of a version. Um, yeah, just commit to it 100%. Trust in the program and because it will get you the, the improvement you're after. 
but not doing your little version where you are just sneakily do some extra um, stuff. Well, you know, if you want to do extra, we've talked about that also. You know, do the main set, but do easier warm down for longer and do easier warm up for longer. But don't challenge the middle bit. So if you want to do extra rather than doing a 15 minute warm up, you can do a 40 minute warm up. Yeah. Time. And the same with the, with the cool down. Add another hour if you want to, as long as it's in the the, the uh, percentage of power that we're asking you in the range, and it might be 40% or lower, it's really quite boring to ride an hour at 40%. So that's why we don't sort of prolong that. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to gain you an advantage? Sure, by doing some endurance training, there's no doubt about it. But if you do it too hard, it will actually make you worse the next day. Um, so doing a three-hour recovery ride, um, if you do it at too close to the top end of the range, will fatigue you. It takes time to do the extras over a period of months before your body will adapt from a 10-hour week to a 12-hour week to a 14-hour week to a 16 to a 20-hour week. Mm -hmm. So if you tried to do a 20-hour week straight from a 10-hour week, you would find fatigue levels would be massive after 10 days Mm -hmm. and you would fall in a big hole probably. You need to progress just like we do in executing time trials or training sessions. You need to progress the same with the amount of time you add and that's kind of interesting because it is Christmas mm. and what do people do on Christmas? They're not at work. So their routine is totally changed. So they then think, I've got all this time, let's ride more. Mm. And that's great. But you have to temper the the effort so that you just do the main set that's that's got the intensity. You do that only for the 30 minutes that it requires and then you add the 40 minutes warm up and the, and the hour warm down so that at the end of the day you've added the volume at the percentage of ftp that it's meant to be could you afford to go harder in the main sets as well because you might be having two weeks off of work and so you have the ability to recover more and you're not so stressed with the rest of life yeah that's still no it's a great question because that's what the range is for so if you feel like and i'm asking you at threshold to ride between 102 and 110 percent Go for it. Ride at 110, but don't ride at 120, mm-hmm. and you actually won't be able to finish the session. Mm-hmm. And you know, this, if you, to try and ride a five or eight or ten minute effort at 120 percent, we know that's not possible. Mm-hmm. That's VO2 training. Mm-hmm. That's between 110 and 120 percent. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not sustainable anyway. You will fail. Mm-hmm. So, now we do have a range. Ride to the top of the range, um, and that goes. You know, if you're struggling a little bit with fatigue at the third week of, uh, if you're in the third week of your training block. And you're thinking, oh, geez, I don't know if I can get through this session. Start at the bottom of the range and make sure that you get the three efforts done or the four efforts done. Rather than starting at the top of the range and being a big hero and then only doing one and a half efforts out of four, that's actually not achieving anything. Yep. So lesson number five. Again, this actually um, is a good segue from exactly what you just talked about, but I want to know your story from your nationals experience this year and um, i know you won't want to talk about it too much but um the story of where you were at 12 to 16 weeks out from nationals and what you had to do to be able to get there and put yourself in a position to be a chance to win um you could have fallen into the trap of what we just spoke about and thought i am you were you were really far behind you're probably the most far behind you've ever been um Mm. and that was a combination of just a long period of not having a specific goal to work for, um, you were just going through the motions yourself with training um, and you could have tried to overdo it and gone, I'm so far behind, I need to 
train harder um, throughout the week. I need to do too much um, and could have just burnt yourself out. But instead, um, you stuck to the program for 12 to 16 weeks and ended up with um, a clean sweep of the Nationals. So talk us through that period in terms of mentally where you're at and then what mm. you did to change it. Yeah, you've kind of summarized it quite well. Um, it is something I'm not that keen on talking about, <laughs> but uh, to help other people um, go back to our first point, I didn't have a plan for the last, I don't know, two years. Um, I did have a plan outside of my training. My plan was to really focus on making sure I could be the best coach to all the athletes. That was my plan. That was my total focus. I wanted I wanted to be available and make sure that everybody I coached was improving. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the way, I was just riding when I could. Um, I had no structure, no program, and... I was able to manage most of the the rides that I was doing with other people. I think I didn't realize how well I was managing it because my fitness was falling incredibly. I knew it was falling because my performance management chart was telling me that I was, instead of being a 100-plus fitness number, I was in the 60s and 70s. But I wasn't struggling that much in our competitive bunch ride, and that was more to do with my management um, from all those years of knowing how to protect yourself mm-hmm. um, without still being vulnerable to being dropped. Mm-hmm. And that would be the, the worst um, situation yeah. for me as a coach. Yeah. Oh, we dropped the coach today. Yeah. Um, so, so that was my focus really was to survive those uh, rides and, and not, not uh, put myself into harm's way. But certainly I was at my lowest of low fitness. Um, and, you know, do I really want to put myself uh, through another rigorous test to see if I can perform at, at the top level. And you and I discussed that quite a bit. And our decision was, yes, you know, let's put myself to the test to see if I followed the program 100%. How would I improve and how long would it take? Because I'm doing it with all the athletes, but can I do it again to myself? And so that was my motivation. Um, and, I, and I am a competitive person and I had missed a lot of the racing opportunities that that I had sort of sacrificed by putting my head down as a coach. Um, so I was quite excited, but I was a bit daunted by how far back I was. And a couple of the early time trials I put myself in, I was a miserable failure compared to where I'd been before. And that was really difficult for me to, uh, I don't know, you know, when you're used to being close to the pointy end mm. and when people uh, ring you up and say, oh, I didn't, didn't see you race on the weekend, um, and you say, I'd have to say, well, you didn't look down the list low enough. Mm. I was I was 50th rather than 5th mm. um, or wherever. So that was a bit of a humble pie to eat. Um, but I remember discussing it with you and um, and actually using you as a bit of a mentor role, and it was like, well, what, have, what, what, what choice do I have here? I know that if I overdo it I'm going to I'm going to actually go backwards I know that Mm. from all my coaching so I've got to stay with the process and and the process was progress slowly um, and just stick with the the specific sessions that you know will get you where you want to don't overdo the easy rides all of all the key things that that I was drumming into everybody else I had to do it to myself and then I went and and really concentrated on the one percenters and just on that point there, I thought something was really noticeable for me was um, how uncomfortable you were because there's the physical process, but there's all this, also the mental game as well. 
I'm just going to let Millie out here. <laughs> <laughs> dogs joining us for this podcast. Yeah, Millie's a quiet uh, podcast listener, but sometimes... Uh, <laughs> Beauty of line po- live podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She wanted to join in at the start. And... No, but um, what was really noticeable for me was um, how mentally challenging it was because you were so uncomfortable and to be so used to being at the top of races and then to have to have that really big ego blow and be honest with where you were at and be wait that far down the list was... You said it yourself. You said I was embarrassed um, and that you could easily hide away from that and a lot of people might not want to turn up um, because it is just a bit of an ego check and you have to just suffer through it and just say that is where I'm at right now and be realistic with it and then move on from there and then follow the process and start doing as much as you could with all the one percenters. Yeah, uh, and I it's a real lesson for me and I think it, it's a really good one for people to, to hear is um, racing when you're not in your best form, um, what's, the, what's the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of it for me was twofold. One was to find out where I'm at in compared to my previous performances and also my competition. So I got an absolute slap in the face with, geez, I'm so far down compared to where I used to be. My numbers were 30 watts lower than what they should have been. Um, My speed was, for the first time in my whole career, was under 40 k's an hour. I've never actually ridden that slow before in a time trial, no matter where I've been. and um, and certainly uh, making me decide that, geez, I actually have to do this and commit to it. So having a poor result is motivation to me mm. to commit to, right, I'm not going to have one of those again. The next time I race, I'm going to be better than I was just then. And that is a huge driving force for me to motivate me. Poor performances, I don't, I don't. Think about, oh, forget this, I don't want to do this. Mm. All I think about is, how am I going to get better? Mm. What am I going to have to do to get better? And that's what you said, is I started to say, oh, what are the one percenters I haven't been concentrating on? Mm. And one of them was, I, I amazingly just slowly crept up on my weight. That was one thing that, that I really needed to address. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a heavy guy, mm. but, but certainly I was more solid than I used to racing at, and, you know, in... My professional days, I was 66 kilo, mm. 67 kilo, and now I was 74, 75, mm. depending on what day of the week I measured <laughs> myself in. And uh, and I thought, oh, I have to change that. And so I really concentrated on and got some, you know, some great assistance from some experts. And one of the guys I coach helped me, Dr. Harry Weisinger, who was fantastic in his advice. Um, we're going to going to talk to him actually in a podcast um and he was really really helpful and so i really made a conscious effort of what am i going to do every time i eat am i eating what's going to be beneficial to me and what are the things i need to eat Mm. and how often do i need to eat um i certainly didn't diet Mm. there was no word diet in my it was managing my food better Mm. and understanding what are the healthy things i can eat compared to the crap things i was putting in and that's a key difference as well because you can't afford to mess with it too much over a 12 or 16 week period because it could be a disaster and a lot of people would try and drastically go on a diet which would totally ruin your training if you start dieting and not getting enough food in proper food in yep. you're trying to eat less then you're not going to be able to recover and you're going to have no energy and your training's going to, going to absolutely fall down so exactly. you could to do that yeah exactly and so I, I really needed to make sure I was giving myself the right fuel um, and as an endurance athlete um you know, I would uh, do certain things at certain times of the week where I would know that if I'm doing 180k or 140k Saturday ride the night before, I would give myself enough carbs 
um, for that. So the diet was the diet. The the, the food uh, program that I was on was really cutting a lot of the carbs out, but I didn't cut them out completely. Um, and having a, a carb drink in my endurance ride was crucial. Um, so I didn't I didn't I'm not a believer of, of extreme um, things in anything. Extreme training, extreme eating, extreme exercise. Um, uh, having a balance is really important to me. Um, so that was one of the things that was uh, so so crucial to the change of um, of uh, my approach. Definitely. And to, to clarify, I think the, when you say cut out the carbs, a lot of people will just think, you know, that is an extreme thing. But I would just say you cut out the shitty carbs and it just eliminated this, the unnecessary carbs. But still yep. a lot of you know good carbs in there and good wholesome healthy meals yep. um, to make sure you did have enough carbohydrates for yep. energy yeah exactly right and look i was cutting look I'm, i love cakes and sweet too so they're the carbs i was talking mm. about you know I, the potatoes carb the mm. rice um pasta. the pasta i i did definitely uh reduce that but and had that once on a, on a weekend or on a friday night before um, but you know, during the week, I would stay clear of, of that and have some really good protein and some fats. And but yeah, that that was one of the things. And and really, uh, you know, I, you know, what other things can I think of? Well, I bought a set of rollers. Yeah, the list is pretty big. Yeah. Um, so doing some recovery sessions on the on the rollers had you know had lots of advantages in it. Um, a, I could just get on it within one second and start riding, and I didn't have to set my you know, my kicker up and, and, you know, do all the things that take five, ten minutes, etc. Mm. So I really enjoyed that. The balancing on the on the, uh, on the the rollers, you underestimate how you're, you're actually being um, on a set of ergo or, you know, kicker or whatever, which, which is holding you still. Um, all you're doing is pedaling uh, with the legs, whereas when you're on the rollers, you're actually still balancing. Mm. Um, so you're still working subtly the core, mm. um, which I've really found... Um, interesting. Um, I was able to ride a higher cadence on the rollers, um, so yeah, that was that was really helpful. Um, so you know, they were they were two standout things. Um, the probably the third thing was um, I I did specific altitude uh, training mm-hmm. where I slept at altitude, mm-hmm. um, and you know, don't underestimate how valuable that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had lots of experience uh, going to Europe and training at altitude and. Coming back and having Strava times around the Dandenongs that are, I haven't been able to break for 10, 5 years mm-hmm. and, you know, all of a sudden in this last period I'm hitting those those same numbers. Um, you know, the training program's the key. Yep. Um, so that's why they're called 1% is because if you looked at the 80-20 rule where 20% yep. of what you do makes 80% of the result, it's the program. The training program gets 80% of the result. Yep. But if you want those last that last bit then it's all these other things yep so before i get to training program i suppose the 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 core strength flexibility work uh, stretching um sleep um certainly was important um and walking daily yep and so uh i don't really like walking but um i made myself walk and i took took our dog and i used that as an excuse i've felt quite comfortable walking with the dog but that really when i started walking i was very average at it um and i wasn't it wasn't a competitive thing but it really gave me good recovery mm. um and i tried to do that as often you know daily i'm talking with mm. the dog so so i did that for you know a good 16 weeks and i still still continue to do that now and, and my walking's improved incredibly mm. um it's t- taken a lot of the soreness out of i had some knee issues and Certainly, uh, riding the bike where you're not uh, physically holding yourself up. Uh, when we talk about the skeletal system, we you know we train the cardiovascular system and the muscular system on the bike. 
but we're not really training the, the skeletal system, which is your bones. And, and you know, that's why walking and running is such a, a great sport if you're injury free. So, you know, when you're being held up by your bike, you're not really, uh, you know, as you get older, you really need to work your skeletal system. So I found that a lot of the aches and pains that I was having uh, more of have dissipated a lot. So walking is, is certainly a good a good 1% of it, uh, I think, is really invaluable. Mm, absolutely. And there, uh, there is more. I mean, um, I've got a list that we kind of went through where you talked about just consistently tracking your progress on training peaks, making yep. sure you're not just yep. going through the motions, but you're analyzing the sessions and your yep. numbers. You had specific scores that you were looking for on your performance management chart, which is on training peaks. Yep. Um, uh, things beetroot juice, um, starting to take that. Yep. I think with a lot of these 1%ers, how effective they are, um, we don't actually know because mm. we don't have you know, mm. exact scientific proof. But more importantly, it shows the mindset of I'm doing willing to do as much as possible to win. Um, and psychologically, I want to make sure I do everything I can to be the most prepared so that you can perform the best of the day. Yeah, the, the, the last couple of things you, you, you touched on were really crucial to my mindset. Um, so tracking my progress, is what, which is what I do with all the athletes I coach. I'm tracking them all the time and, and giving them feedback when I see them going well and giving them feedback when I see them not going so well and we need to change something. Um, but certainly tracking my own progress uh, gives me motivation. Hey, last week I was able to do the three-by-eight-minute efforts at you know 270 watts uh 272 and 274 and this week i did 276 278 280 instant feedback mm. it, because i've gone and and i've checked what i did for, for two weeks three weeks and and my motivation for next week is can i do all three at 280 mm. and that to me has got a goal for the session mm. you know i've got a, a, a specific thing that i'm aiming for for this and i know not, i know my numbers mm. i know them off by heart and I know most of the people's numbers that I coach, but I'm really trying to get them to take ownership of their own numbers so that, you know, they they they, they don't have to say to me, did I do okay in that session? Mm. You would have instant feedback if you take ownership mm. of your own data. Mm. Um, I'm there to discuss the data with you mm. for sure. Um, and I'll give you feedback that, you know, these are your numbers. This is what we're trying to do. Mm. You fell short. What happened? Is there something wrong? Um so, so that was really important to me, and that's a real motivator for me um, to to keep to keep that as the focus. Especially because, how confident are you going to be on the start line when you know your numbers and you know as a measured result how much you've improved? If you don't, if you're not paying attention to your numbers, you're actually not going to know for sure on the start line or not. Yeah, it defeats the purpose of training with power. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get to the start line, I know, but you know, I'm talking about numbers. I was doing eight minutes at two seventy. By the end of the sixteen weeks, I was doing those eight minutes at three hundred and five to three hundred and ten. And when I get on the start line, I know, now know that I can ride this whole ride around the 300-watt mark instead of the 270s where I was 16 weeks ago. You know, 30 to 35-watt improvement in that time is outstanding from anybody I would coach. Mm. Um, and, you know, what you said before, is it one particular thing? No, it's never one particular thing. It's a combination of all of those one percenters, but without the right program... Mm. I could do the one percenters till the cows come home, mm. and I wouldn't have the improvement. You've got to actually know what to do and when to do it, mm. and in the order that it needs mm. to be done with the right recovery in between. And that's why you can't just move days. Mm. You actually have to have a discussion with me before you go. Oh, I wasn't feeling too good today, and so I moved it to, to tomorrow. And you know that means you've done three hard sessions in a row. Mm. Well, that's you know sabotaging your own mm. program. So. So it's really important that you get the right uh, 
structure and program to to what you're aiming for um, like we, we talked about at the start with planning um, so knowing what the goal is and it could be you know it could be a grand fondo or amy gillett lawn race it could mm. be the bathurst mm-hmm. uh, grand fondo it could be the world titles it could be the national titles or the time trial or or just beating up your mates so yeah. it doesn't matter and how many sessions did you miss in that 16-week period? Uh, none. Yeah. yeah. I didn't miss one session. And that has to be something said about 100% completion mm. right, for every single session. Yeah. Both yep. psychologically and physically. Yeah, uh, mentally. Um, and look, I didn't get sick during that period, and that's also uh, one of the things we're, mm. we're going to discuss. But, uh, but it's really a fine line because you're training – right on the limit all the time and that's why the recovery is so important that you do take the time to recover and not get you know i get carried away with oh geez i'm going well i'm I'm improving i can see the improvement every session you know just don't get carried away you have to take each day at a time and know that it's in four weeks time when you test yourself again you know you will be at a new level ftp you know started at 270 after week four i was at 280 after week eight i was at 287 after week 12, I was at 294 and, you know, the 16th week was race week and I was at 300. Mm. Did I want to get to 300 in the first week? You bet I did. Mm. But I know that it's not possible. So you have to take your medicine session by session, day by day, and to get ahead of yourself is is going to be a sabotaging move. And that's a, a huge lesson mm. that I, uh, I really learnt from myself um, and it's something that the, the guys I coach need to really... It is a big picture thing. Yeah. It, it can't be small-minded thinking. I'm not going well today, you know. Well, it's just part of the process. Yeah. Uh, have confidence and trust it. Yeah, don't panic. And, yeah, I think there has to be something said about having those standards for yourself because 100% completion rate isn't just talking about 100% of the hard sessions. That is not missing one single recovery ride and... That also means not doing the recovery rides wrong. So yeah. you have a lot yep. of athletes that train really well and train the house down, yep. but they're still at 90% or 95% completion rate because they're missing some recovery days. The recovery days aren't in the right range. It's too hard. Yep. And that doesn't count as completion. And if you're going to go to the nationals with the goal to win, you know, what's your standard? Are you going to be happy with 90% completion rate mm. or 95%? Or are you going to be a lot more confident with 100%? Yeah, well, don't get me wrong. Look, we're not professionals mm. and... Yeah, it's all very well to say, you know, this is this is the goal, this is what I achieved. We have things happen, you know. Um, family and work are more important than what we're doing. This is this is a passion that we have, and I'm here to help you mm-hmm. with that passion. You will do better with your family and work if you're happy within yourself. Mm-hmm. But you know, the goal is to try and achieve perfect uh, result, and if that's what your goal is, and you fall just a bit short, that's brilliant. Um, and you know. You know, obviously standing on the start line on, on the time trial for that first race, I looked back and went, I couldn't have done anything more. Mm. I've done everything. And whatever happens today, if someone beats me, they're just better. Mm. And I'll, I'll tip my hat to them. Mm. But I can't be in better shape. I, I, could, I could not do anything more than I've done. And what a great feeling that is with that one minute to go before I'm off on the, on the start ramp. Mm. Um, and that's also why that you say um, you probably can only have one, max two A races a year because you just can't commit to 100% completion 
for extended periods, you are able to um, sacrifice some things and do it for 16 weeks, and that's great. Um, but what you talk about is spot on with balance, and yep. um, it's only one one part of your life. Um, yeah, and it was very satisfying mm-hmm. to achieve it. Just don't, you know, it was, it, I probably got more satisfaction out of that result than I have in the previous three national uh, titles that I've, that was the fourth jersey that I've won, and, and that was the most satisfying. And having won all three races, which I'd never done before, mm-hmm. um, I you know, got second on the time trial four times, and mm-hmm. and so that was a burning desire. So I had a lot of a lot of uh, little goals that I wanted to achieve, and um, so yeah, to get through that and uh, and get the result I wanted was more satisfying, uh, having known what the process was, and you know, the, the actual finishing on the dice, you know, that's great, mm-hmm. but the fun was the process mm-hmm. and and knowing that i had set a goal and achieved it um and look as so, soon as that finished um you know as you said you can't just keep doing that um i have to re- rethink and start with a new plan mm-hmm. and give myself a break um and that's really important also and i gave you know myself a week or two of uh not having to do anything but just enjoy mm-hmm. uh the riding again mm-hmm. um without a specific focus of, i've got to do this i've got to do that you went to japan and didn't take your bike that's right yeah <laughs> just did some fun things yeah. and and now i've refocused again and I've, I've set the new goals and um i'm really excited about training again and uh and pushing pushing myself uh you know because uh, one of the things that we talk about is uh people starting a program getting to a good point and then saying oh i've achieved it and then going backwards really quickly. It's so hard to gain fitness. It's so easy to lose it. Mm. Um, it almost you lose it double the rate you gain it. And and then you know two or three months later, going oh, I need to I need to train again. You know I just think you need to keep keep chipping away at it rather than than dropping it all together. Mm. Um, because you, you maybe if we if you at a scale of one to ten. You know, I get you to a level where you're five. Mm. You started with me when you were one, mm. and then you have a break for a few weeks, and you go back to twenty, mm. and then it takes us another six weeks, eight weeks to get you back to where you were fifty. Mm. If you just kept doing something and drop back to forty, it take you a week to get back to fifty, mm. and then you go from fifty to seventy, yeah. and then you're st- still climbing the progression ladder. Yeah. But if you do, uh, you know, a big all-out effort. Mm drop it all off together and then try and go again, you're just forever staying at 50. Mm. You go 50, 20, 50, 20, and you never get past 50. Mm. And that's something that uh, quite a few of our athletes do, and I'm forever saying to them, just do a little bit more than you're doing. You don't, don't have to be so serious, yeah. but um, but just keep your fitness going because it's so easy to lose. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great story. I really wanted you to um, talk about um, that whole process because there is about 50 lessons in that one in that one lesson. Um but for me, it was one of the coolest things to see this year because I could see the behind the scenes of how far behind you were and I probably hadn't seen you that far behind before um, in your cycling. And um, for a lot of people, they just saw another Nationals win by Jared. Um, expected. Yeah, and yep. it was so expected by everyone, you've won, which is fair enough, you've won it three times before. Um, but I wanted people to know how far back you were and how it was totally not expected um, and how much work had to go into this one. Yeah, I just think that's um, that's probably why it was most satisfying for you. Yeah, look, the, the one thing I'd add is there were periods there when I definitely was questioning um, myself because it's hard to coach yourself. Um, you need some input from other people. Um, and, you know, I would, I would always be bugging you about, you know, I just did this. What do you think? You know, because your your knowledge of uh, from from coaching all of your assisting me coaching all of our athletes is 
is fantastic. So I really appreciated um, getting some input from outside. But but there were times where I was questioning, mm. you know, I'm just, I'm just not improving quick enough. And, and you would just say to me things like, well, if an athlete said that to you, what would you say? Mm. Well, you have to be patient. Mm. And then I just go, yeah, you're right. So it was great having... I had, don't get me wrong, I had lots of down periods mm. in that 16 weeks. There were days when I knew that I was riding with Dave Ross and Joe on a Thursday or a Wednesday. The night before, I knew how hard it was going to be and I wanted to not do it mm. because I didn't want to suffer. Mm. And my, my positive brain was saying, you'll reap the rewards. Go through the suffering. Mm. And, you know, in 16 weeks' time, you'll look back and go, they were the reasons why I'm here. Mm. Um, and that's, you've got to embrace that. And that was hard. Mm. Mentally, I had to really... I could think of a hundred reasons why I couldn't come today, Rossi. Oh, I can't make it today. But no, I put myself out there. And you saw us come in mm. um, from those sessions and, you know... Barely talk sometimes. <laughs> exhausted, but, but satisfied that far out I got through that, you know. You know, riding around three hours, four hours in the hills at 32 k's an hour in... Is just you know, really putting yourself on the limit. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That is a that is a massive lesson. That lesson five. But we did actually touch on some lessons um, that we had down, and one of them was your favourite purchase of the year, which was the rollers. And yeah, um, it was funny that you got them because the smart trainer wasn't working, and we've had a lot of people just have so many technological problems with the smart trainers. You ended up saying stuff that don't need them anymore, and then the yep. rollers was one of the best purchases. Yeah, and look, one of the things I didn't talk about, but I've talked about how good it is for balancing and core and stuff. But but certainly, I was able to ride the bike power meter. Uh, on the rollers and it's the same power meter as I was riding outside mm. so I didn't have this discrepancy bes- between the kicker power which is another number compared to your bike power which has always bugged me mm. um, so whether I rode the time trial bike on the rollers or I rode the road bike on the rollers I had the power number the same inside as outside so I was working to the one power threshold the whole time so that was another huge advantage yeah, yeah but if um you would be advising a lot of your um, athletes now to get back on the rollers, get back to you know, learning to ride properly on them, uh, get that little bit of core back, and yep. yeah, they're just big advantages. Yep. And the one one thing with the rollers, they've come a long way from the old style of rollers with no resistance. I've got rollers with resi- with resistance, so they've got settings one, two, and three, so I can push you know four, five hundred watts on the rollers. So don't think that the rollers are just for easy riding. Yeah, absolutely. So that's lesson six. Lesson seven you also touched on is the correlation still, which is it's just so obvious. And again, it's um, one of the biggest things we say is correlation between consistency and success, but extended consistency. So every year we seem to have a new few tribal riders who have been with us for two to three years start to really explode. And you would say that just comes from that years of practice. And you do see a lot of riders who put in a really good period and then decide to have a break and having yep. a break's fine but doing it the wrong way and going so far backwards that they're forever yep. just coming up two steps back one up two yep. steps it's just too slow yeah but we did talk about that just a minute ago but but to get to the 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 riders who have been with us for a long time um you know you might say well geez how come it took so long to get to that period well they've gone from middle of the pack to to winners and you know i've got 50 or 60 people who who have you know come from really low base not even cyclists or triathletes to you know just even them going whoa that's that's pretty amazing but it didn't happen in six months it didn't happen in a year the the more layers of base fitness to a program that's suited to you structured 
as the years go by, that accumulates. You know, you've just got, you're just adding, mm. adding more. And so if you can use a, um, a line where you're, say, hovering around a fitness level of uh, 80, and then as a race comes up, you want to get to 90, you're at 80. So it's a really easy jump to make up to that 90. And then you go back to the 80 mm-hmm. or 85. Mm-hmm. You've, you've improved a little bit because you've added some intensity from racing or a, or a Grand Fondo or something. And now you're hovering on 85 and then you jump up to the next A race or B race, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden you're now at 90. And you're just continually adding layers and your performance will progressively get better after six months, after 12 months, after 18 months. And it's no coincidence that, you know, two and three years' time, the guys who have got the layers from 80 are now at 120. Mm. Um, if they look back at what rider they were at 80, no wonder they were middle of the pack. Mm. That's where they were. But now at 120, they're always in the pointy end of their bunch ride, you know, and they're having to move bunches because they're too good. Mm-hmm. They've got guys who are you know in country bunches where they've got a grade bunch b grade bunch mm-hmm. c grade bunch not in a race but it's a bunch right on a saturday some of the really big big bunches in bendigo or warrigal and they've gone from the the d bunch to the b bunch mm-hmm. you know that, that's just big jumps. big jumps but it's taken a year or two yeah. and once you get to the third and fourth year um you know you are now got that good a base um and we always use the analogy of the builder who builds a fantastic foundation of concrete or, you know, really solid, stable base and builds a house that's rock solid. Whereas the guy who cuts the concrete uh, in half the measurement it should be and it cracks and all of a sudden the building starts to crack and everything's opening up mm-hmm. because he's got the poor foundations. Mm-hmm. The layers aren't there. That's the same analogy in, in, in fitness, you know. The longer you do this for, the better eventually you're going to be. It's no coincidence that guys who've been riding for eight, ten years are at the top of their game the whole time. And it's and yes, it's experience, but it's that fitness that mm. they've accumulated um, through the consistency yeah. that we talked about at the start. Yeah, and that is that is our lessons um, seven and eight combined, which is consistency is still the highest correlation to success. We just said it over and over, and it's. Kind of what you said it before, I think, uh, long-term versus short-term thinking. You can't be small-minded. Um, you know, you've got to be always thinking the bigger picture, long-term. And that's where if you want to be riding and you want to have some success, then stick it out and have a that big picture in mind. And the success will come from the consistency. Yeah. And look, if I use my own example, 16 weeks, people go, oh, why can't I do 16 weeks mm-hmm. and, and get to where... well. But I've been riding for 40 years, mm. so I've got that layer and layer upon, you know, training. So I, I wasn't coming from a beginner base. I was always coming from, for me, it was a low base, but um, it was, you know, years of base training. So it, it did take 16 weeks and not, you know, eight weeks, mm-hmm. uh, whereas if I, was, if I was a lot fitter at the time, it would have only taken four to eight weeks mm-hmm. to do. It would have been half the time. But because my base layer was quite low... Mm. Um, and that's a really good example of, you know, even for someone who's been training at this level for a long time, mm. I, it took me double the time mm. um, that it possibly should have had I concentrated a little bit more on continuing to keep my fitness consistent. Yep. Good. Lesson nine. Uh, and what we'll find with all these lessons is, um, one, we have so many, so we actually had way more than 12, but we're going to do a second podcast uh, in the new year about how to more look ahead for the next year and how to plan properly. But another planning one was uh, the experience you had with a lot of the triathletes who have had really good results um, at the start of summer and the back end of this year. Uh, but a lot of them probably had their first race with Trivelo and you were shocked at, um, shocked at 
mm. uh, their experience. So talk us through that. Yeah, it, it really was an eye-opener to me. And I just, I don't know why I thought this. My observation was that um, if you go into a triathlon event, that you would have a pre-race plan. Um, and you'd also have the preparation for the event specifically. And what do I mean by that? Well, the preparation, what, what you know, if you pick any event that you do, whether you're a gymnast or a trampolinist, um, you have a routine and you have to practice the segments of the routine. Um, well, as a triathlete, you have three sports. Mm-hmm. You have swim, bike and run. So you would practice swimming and where's the swim event? In the ocean. So that would be one thing. Mm-hmm. Where do all triathletes swim? In a pool. Mm. So do they ever do any practice in the ocean? Mm. So that's one thing I was shocked at. Mm. Um, cycling. So, of course, you need to be a reasonable cyclist. Are they practicing um, uh, at the percentage of the race that they're going to do? Um, speed and, and threshold and heart rate. Um, and as a runner, have they just trained as a runner or have they practiced? What's, what, how do you run in triathlon? Mm. You run off the bike. I was shocked at the people who don't train at all mm. running off the bike. They may have one session off the bike. It's a bit of a token session. Mm. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. So the, the requirements and the prerequisites of the event are important. So, so not only the planning of that, um, but the preparation of doing those mm-hmm. sessions and the planning of your actual race was, was the thing that really shocked me. And it's not a negative to anyone because if you don't haven't been taught how to have a proper yep. race plan and a plan that's going to get an effective result, then you don't know. But you're yep. still shocked at how majority of triathletes um, haven't had that uh, experience or being taught how to have that proper race plan. Yeah, and for me, uh, having a race plan um, is the key to a successful day. Oh, of course, you have to prepare properly. Um, so the preparation is going to allow you to execute your race plan. So if you, if you aren't prepared properly, no matter what your race plan is, you're still probably not going to be that successful. But if you've prepared poorly, your race plan will help you get through the event with the limited preparation that you've had. And we've had examples of guys who've been injured for running. And, you know, I don't, I don't like mentioning names, but mm-hmm. we've, we've got, you know, one guy who was injured for eight weeks mm-hmm. and was doing a half marathon, a half Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, so his running was restricted. Mm-hmm. So he was really quite good in the swim and the ride. Mm-hmm. And we knew that come race day, you know, so we planned the run according to the preparation he was able to do. Not what he, what he knew he was capable of doing had he been 100% fit, because that's not how you land on race day you have to plan the race around the actual data and and we specifically test the data just before race day to find out what your swim pace is to find out what your threshold for riding is to find out what your running pace is and we go into the race knowing all of those numbers and and it's like you having a whole spreadsheet of information whilst you're swim riding or swimming is not that easy to, 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 to measure but riding and running you're getting instant feedback the whole way through the race so so I just could not understand how people could go into a race without having a plan, whether it be a bad plan or a good plan, yeah. just, just having, I'm just going to go as hard as I can today. Mm. That's not a plan. Mm. That's just ridiculous mm. tactic of preparing to fail. And the biggest lesson here and the coolest part was the simple change of improving your preparation and then having a specific plan created incredible results um, yeah. for triathletes and people were having 10, 15, 20-minute PBs. Yeah, and as we said at the beginning, we measure our successes by improvement in performance, not podiums. We got a couple of 
we got one win mm-hmm. in Busso. Mm-hmm. We got a, a, another podium. Mm-hmm. We got top ten. We got uh, qualifiers for world titles for seventy point three in New Zealand, and they're all great and they're they're fantastic for each athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, wrapped for them, but every single one of our athletes in the past eight weeks has done a PB. Mm-hmm. Not one has not done a PB. So I've got a 100% record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that to me was just slight variation in their preparation mm-hmm. and having a race plan. Mm-hmm. And, and just a couple of little tweaks. They, were all, they had been doing triathlons. There was, no one was doing their first triathlon. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them had done a triathlon before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the first time they'd actually gone into it with good preparation yep. and a race plan. Yep. And I'm really, I'm really adamant that I call and talk to each each athlete prior to a triathlon to make sure we're clear on what our ranges are to ride at and what our ranges are to run at Mm -hmm. and you still have to execute on the day but you've got some information to to base it on am i feeling good can i go at the the fast end of the the power number Mm -hmm. or i'm not feeling so good you know um, but i need to be in these zones yeah Yeah. no it's a great lesson Um, and it's been really cool to see the improvement from uh, all the triathletes Lesson number 10, we're at the back end of our lessons, um, and this one we touched on again before, but it is um, how you really want to be on the right side of the line between not overdoing it and staying healthy, because when you overdo it and you get sick or injured, um, it just really stops your whole progress, and um, a lot of people then make the mistake of trying to come back too soon and end up missing more time because they come back from sickness too early and they prolong that sickness um, or they come back from injury too early and they end up prolonging the injury and it's just a disaster all around and it really impacts yeah. that consistency. It's a great point to talk about and look, a lot of it's out of our control which mm. is really difficult and it's not your fault sometimes. Sometimes it is your fault and you've created it and then by panicking you make it worse. Mm. Um, so, so it's a really valid point and one that people don't underestimate how it can impact your season. Mm. Um, so getting injured um, is one thing, and that's sometimes unlucky, but sometimes overuse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're talking about a running injury, maybe you had the wrong runners, mm. maybe you had them too long. You know, things that you can do something about is making sure you change them over. Um, a bike injury, maybe sitting in the wrong position, get yourself set up on a bike fit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not doing the, the strength and conditioning uh, core and stretching can, can contribute to a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lots of things that can cause an injury. You can twist your ankle, which is accidental, yeah. and you can be out for whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you should say, well, you should be more concentrated. Yeah. Well, well, you know, that's a little bit unfair, um, having twisted my ankle over 40 times in my career. <laughs> I can twist it on an icy pole stick. So, um, so there's things you can control, and there's things you can't control. So the controllable things is what we really want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And and uh, having a running injury or a riding injury or a swimming shoulder injury, getting the right advice and following that advice to the letter, and getting uh, being given uh, rehab exercises. And this is something that I was definitely at fault at in my career, and that, hence I can't run anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be fair, we didn't have a lot of uh, good knowledge back in the 1920s, <laughs> no, the 1980s and 90s about rehab. We had a lot of rest and ice and, 
and a little bit of massage, but we just didn't have the knowledge to do these particular exercises to strengthen your, your, your core and the alignment of your muscles working properly uh, to stop you from it re-injuring. Um, and that's something that I think people need to really focus on is if you've got an injury, you do the homework. The homework is the stretching strengthening exercises um, maybe not so much the stretching but the strengthening exercises to make sure the muscles functioning well so that's one aspect um, the illness well you know that's out of your control all the time um, there are s- well, you can't be overdoing it yeah there are lack of sleep. which is about to say there are there are things that you are going to do that will, will push you to um to to be sick but if you're if you've got children who are at you know daycare and at school and come home with you know all sorts of things because we're training on the edge you're more susceptible to to getting it um and and you know this year has been particularly bad for most australians and people over the world for getting you know a lot of the flus and so you know airplane flights i've noticed a lot of people have traveled have come back sick from flights that's been a real consistent um what can you do about that? Not much. Um, but what do we, once you're sick, you've got to let the illness go. You've got to, uh, you know, be patient and not try to train through sickness. And some really good advice that uh, Dr. Mitch Anderson gave me was, you know, if if you're feeling sixty percent, why would you train at one hundred percent? You know, it's actually dangerous for your heart um, to be training when you've got a viral infection. So, so you're better off resting um, and and riding it out. Um, you know, if you start to feel 70% better, 80% better, you know, that's the time to start training at 60% or 70%, but never train above how you feel. Mm. And you've got to self-regulate, you know, am I 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 10? Mm. And if you've still got a cough or a headache, that's a t- sign not to, to try and push your body. So people get sick, that's a problem. What do they do about when they get sick? They come back too soon. So we've had people getting re-sick, mm. um, reoccurrence of illness, um, the general rule you've said is that if let's say if you're sick for a week, it should take you a full week to get back to 100. percent You can do some easy riding, but you've got to let you know the same yeah. amount of time. You're sick for 10 days, you almost have to give it 10 days, um, because if you do that, even though it's frustrating and you have to be really slow and patient, after a week, then you're back to 100. percent But if you do it too fast, then the prolonged sickness can be there for three or four weeks. Suddenly, you haven't trained properly for five weeks. And yeah, it's just a much worse outcome. And if you've lost so much fitness mm-hmm. and uh, conditioning, and and the mental frustration mm-hmm. is is just awful. And we've had quite a few people who've experienced that this year. And um, and you know, just a couple of lessons they've learnt is mm-hmm. uh, just listening to the body a lot. And look. One thing that uh, we do do with our coaching is I ask people every week to take their resting heart rate and I ask them to, to keep a track on their weight mm-hmm. for, for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons is the resting heart rate with history. If you've got a year of history of, of once a week taking your resting heart rate, and as you know, I do it every morning myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if your heart rate for some reason starts to spike, it's a great indicator that the body's under stress, mm-hmm. whether it's from... Uh, mental stress or from physical illness mm. and you need to take note if mm. your resting heart rate's 50 and all of a sudden it's 58 mm. well, that's a that's a red flag mm. and and i'm not asking you to do that just to you know just to see what your resting heart rate is mm. i'm asking you to do it for a reason mm. so that we've got history to to make decisions based on this week we need to ease up in the training because your resting heart rate's mm. telling us that mm. you can go one step further and have heart rate variability yeah which is a little bit more specific, and that's a really good indicator um, of uh, how you should train each day. Um, but that's something that's you know a little bit more complicated. Yeah. 
But yeah, there's not a lot you can hold, do about it this lesson, but it is important to understand how much of an impact it can have. And we've yep. seen it a lot this year. A lot of athletes had a, a lot of their season just derailed from yep. just prolonged sickness and injury, and it's, it's very yep. frustrating for them. But you can do a bit about it, Jordan. You can you can let me know that you're not, you're not feeling quite mm. any, you know, that session, I didn't feel quite well, you know, so I need to know that. Um, Again, it's that balance of, well, I want to be a person that completes 100% of sessions, but you just, like... Well, we want to. If you're sick, you just can't. Yep, yep. And look, to, to be fair, when I said I completed 100% of the sessions, I might have been at the bottom end of the range mm-hmm. in some of those sessions. But um, and you know, and I was lucky; I didn't actually have any illness or sickness. So, so if you've got that, you can't be a hero and say I have to complete 100% of my s- sessions. And that's just that's just not what I'm advocating. Yep. yep. Good lesson eleven. Uh, this is actually a lesson from observing a pro rider this year and the story of Rowan Dennis because it's something that a lot of people ask the question about uh, but doesn't get touched on that much and there's not a whole heap of advice out there about how important is your bike set up and getting the right equipment and what do we see Rowan Dennis do this year? Yeah, it was one of those most intriguing things that uh, I've ever watched from afar. Um, as everybody knows, Rowan Dennis is the World Time Trial Champion in 2018. Um, he rode for BMC and he was winning every time trial that he was competing in. Um, he changed teams and went to Barre Merida and a different bike. And uh, the start of the season was the Australian National Titles time trial. Um, he would have been odds-on favourite, would have been unbackable um, after having the year that he did in 2018. And unbeatable and unbackable if you're a betting man. Um, and um, uh, Durbridge came out and beat him. And Durbridge had done the road race and it was two days prior mm-hmm. and had been in the break for five hours. Mm-hmm. And you would have thought that a fresh Rowan Dennis would have no trouble with that. But uh, Rowan came second to Durbridge, which was a fantastic result for mm-hmm. Luke Durbridge. But there was something quite, not quite right mm-hmm. about uh, Rowan's performance and... I think that was a bit of a shock to him. Mm. Um, I don't know anything about him personally. I'm, this is an observation. Mm-hmm. This is my my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't go from being a world beater to losing an event that um, you're beaten by. Durbridge is a great time trialer and it always has been. But, you know, having ridden the road race, you, you, should, you yeah. should be fatigued and... You know, the world time trial champion should have no trouble with mm. that. So, so that to me was kind of a strange result. Mm. And then he continued to have more strange results, mm. culminating in the Tour de France. Mm. You, and to your credit, you called it back in January. You said there's something not right about that Roland Dennis result. He should have won. You said mm. you're going to keep an eye on that all year. Yeah, and come the Tour de France, and he really hadn't. I think he might. I think he might have won one lead up time trial, but come second and third and a few others. So there was clearly how he wasn't having the success that he'd had previously, mm. previous year with BMC, and man, I, you know, I, I, I was saying, well, they would have the best equipment, I'm sure. Mm. Mm. Um, and then the Tour de France time trial, midway through week two and a half, I think it was, he stepped off the bike the day before the time trial and and didn't do the race the next day, and I was. Everybody was in shock. What, what's he doing? Uh, is he not well? There wasn't a lot of information. The, the director sportives weren't really saying too much. In fact, I don't think they knew. Mm. They hadn't spoken to him, and he just he just disappeared. Mm. And I don't think there was many happy people about it. Um, um, but I, you know, my observation, my opinion is, he didn't want to go into another race and underperform. And I, as an athlete, mm. that's such a 
a key thing to, for confidence mm. is, you know, and he's trying to change something about why is why things are going. And he had no confidence in what was going to happen the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my own opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he went away and, you know, come to the world titles maybe 12 weeks later. I don't know how long it was in between, yeah. between July and the world titles, yeah. which were October, I think, yeah. uh, something like that. It was the same week as at, uh, Nationals, I think. Mm-hmm. And he came home and changed everything changed his training changed his focus changed his equipment i imagine mm. i don't know that for a i don't know that for sure mm. seemed like mm. um he wasn't riding the same bike mm. um but again i'm just speculating mm. here and he came and won the world title by 55 seconds mm. and was it was incredible mm. riding it was the rowan dennis of old and to me that was just obviously having confidence number one in in his equipment his his setup mm. um it's the same rider mm. and then he he's so he's won back-to-back world titles but mm. the journey between mm. the previous world title to this one was extremely poor yeah. but the outcome was the same yeah. um yeah. and you, you asked the question in january you said could his bike have made that difference and is that going to affect him um, psychologically and the best guess from observation is probably yes. Yeah, I got you know, and again, I, I I'm happy to be proven wrong, but yeah. it's just my observation that I mm. think that he possibly was on a bike that was similar to what he won mm. the previous year, and um, and you know, history says he's won back to back world titles on the time trial bike, mm. and now he's got a contract with Ineos, mm. and um, he's not he's not the same person he was in 2019. He's mm. he's. Uh, and hopefully his next year is as successful because mm. it, he's such an elite rider. Yeah, it was worth pointing out anyway because it's just a very interesting thing to watch and when you're thinking about it all the time and effort you want to be putting in, you know, it's just another factor that you know, doesn't get as much attention as maybe it should. Um, yeah. Your bike set up. So, so just before you move on, the reason we brought this topic up was not just to talk about Ram Dennis, which it is an interesting topic. Mm. It is if you haven't set yourself up correctly, you are potentially losing a lot in your uh, performance mm. so not only getting the right bike that suits you and obviously we've, we've got sponsorship with giant mm. um, and we ride giants and we're very happy with it but great results on giants great results always. on giants but but you know you need to be a, have a bike that you're set up well on uh, and a bike that's a really good functioning bike that's going to give you the ability to ride fast mm. um, obviously you have to do all the other things the training we've been talking about mm. or but if you if you do all those things and you and you still don't have the right equipment and the right bike, the equipment is one and the bike setup is the other. Well, the best rider in the world proved that he can't be the best rider in the world. So that tells me that you need to do something about that. Even if you're just an average Joe, if you're going to spend money on training and coaching, get the right equipment and get the right setup. I can't I can't mm. emphasize that more. Yeah, absolutely. So the final lesson of our 12 lessons of Christmas, it's been a big one, a big wrap up to the year, um, but we've had good feedback from some of these longer episodes. A lot of people really love um, the in-depth um, in-depth analysis and um, I think these lessons were some really good ones this year that we can take a lot of and the last one's pretty simple, but you know all, everything we've been speaking about, about being committed to the program and doing it 100% and um, getting the most out of it, um, the opposite side of that is how, and this is something that comes up a lot, is life does get really busy work gets in the way if you are time for and it is just not realistic for you to complete the program 100 percent um what are the most important sessions how do you stay fit because you always say staying fit's the most important thing 
Yeah. Um, and if you want to race more as well, I mean, how, how do you stay fit and what are the most important sessions and what have we seen from people yep. this year to be out there that can stay yep. fit in hard times? Yeah, and look, it's such a great topic, Jordan. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we're finishing on this because at Christmas time, you know, when you've got more time, you've got less uh, stress from work, um, people use this opportunity to build their fitness, which is what I would do. Mm. Um, but but if during the year, that's what we're really talking about, every day, not not the exception of, mm. of holidays. So during the 50 weeks of the year where you are just doing your same uh, normal routine and you only have six hours you still want to stay fit, but it, it, life is preventing you from doing it. Some people have 20, some people have 15, some people have 10. You might only have five or six. You can still continue to keep that fitness base going that we've talked about in the lessons if you concentrate on key things. And, you know, without giving too many secrets away, there are three things, three rides a week will enable you to keep your hand in there mm-hmm. and not go from a 50 out of 10 uh, out of 100 mm-hmm. to a 20 out of 100 mm-hmm. uh, to keep you around the 40, 50. Mm-hmm. If you did two high-intensity sessions that were based on your number, mm-hmm. not based on what you could do when you were training at 10 hours, yeah. based, on, based on your new six-hour-a-week mm-hmm. uh, athlete, if you specifically did two of those high-intensity sessions, and we won't tell them mm-hmm. what they are, yeah. And did one endurance ride. That, yeah. <laughs> one endurance ride. Yeah. You could maintain uh, a really good level of fitness that you could step up from from that point. And I have at least five or six riders who are in that phase right now. And it's funny because the team's time trial is coming up. And one of those riders I'm quite happily going to call on because of something that's happened with one of the riders who's mm-hmm. been training. Mm-hmm. Because I know that he's been doing mm-hmm. exactly that, that base minimum and he'll be able to step up mm. um and it, it you know he's understood how to how to manage his off period mm-hmm. and everybody needs an off period mm-hmm. you know that, that's not have a mistake mm-hmm. about that i had you know a two-week off period where it was just just riding when i felt like it mm-hmm. um but you wouldn't want to go too much longer than that so i would resume straight away back into my three hard sessions mm-hmm. um when i say hard sessions the endurance ride is hard in a different way yeah. um but but you know the recovery sessions, the tempo sessions, the sub-threshold sessions, the VO2 sessions, mm-hmm. different to the high intensity and the endurance, you know, there's specifically differences in, in all those sessions. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have to compromise, they're the ones, the, they're the little one percenters that, that build your fitness quicker. Yeah. They're the ones you have to sacrifice. So what will happen? You will just not lose fitness. You won't improve. So make, make that clear mm-hmm. by doing three sessions a week your improvement will be zero to minimum but you won't decline and that's what we're trying to answer this question with um um, and you know the what what is in that session well that's something you need to contact us about so i think we'll leave it there uh 12 really big lessons 12 lessons of christmas and that is a wrap for us for 2019 2019 has been a really great year it's been great to see a lot of the traveler athletes uh get the results they want, improve and enjoy it. Um, that's it for us. We, When we made this list of lessons, we ended up coming up with a whole bunch, you know, 20 or 30 things we could have talked about. Um, and so in the new year, the first podcast of 2020, we'll be talking about some of those things and more specifically um, looking ahead for the next year. How can you get the most out of yourself the next year? What should you be focusing on and what can you do to really set up your year well? Because it starts with that planning 
phase. Yep. Plan, prepare, perform. That planning yep. phase is so crucial. In you just set that plan right so that you can you know prepare really well and perform well at the actual time. Yeah, that's so true, Jordan. And, uh, and this is the time of the year to do it. Um, uh, to think about what your what your goals are next year and and have them. Uh, and we always say writing your goal down means more than just verbalizing it. Um, it's like you're making a contract with yourself. Mm. Well, I wrote it down, so you know anything in print must be true, as we as we all well know. Um, and telling your coach your plan. Yeah, and uh, being accountable to someone by telling them, you know, this is what I plan to do, and you know, it's always going to be thrown back in your face. Well, you told me you wanted to do this. What, what's happening? Um, so yeah, I think oh, I'm excited, uh, and I'm looking forward to some more podcasts. And it's been good fun this year to actually get you know the dozen or so that we've uh, that we've done and we've had some fantastic um uh, interviews with people who've given us you know glimpses of what what it's like to be you know an athlete or a a professional or little little helpful hints that all contribute to making you a better person and a a better athlete and that's kind of what our goal is really absolutely so uh if you are not being coached by us at the moment and you do want coaching, you can uh, go to our website, trivelocoaching.com.au and contact us that way or find us on any social media, message us on Facebook, Trivelo Coaching or Instagram, Trivelo Coaching. Um, we're always willing to help anyone that wants to come and improve and get more enjoyment out of themselves and that's really as simple as our goals are. So that's it from us. Um, anything else from you? Um, yeah, I'd say to all those people who um, who think they want to be a better bike rider, um, if you don't change something, um, then you'll stay the same. Um, but if you're happy staying the same, that's that's absolutely fine. But um, if you're not, then um, you need to do something different. And the first thing would be to change something that you're doing in your program. And contacting someone who can help you with that is, is what we're about. Um, Perfect. So um, that's it from us. Merry Christmas and a happy new year from Tribello Coaching. And we'll see you all in the new year. Fantastic, Jordan.